0: Good morning, day or night, wherever you're in the world, and welcome to the Surviving and Drive Podcast. Today we are discussing
1: the Hungarian Grand Prix. This is your favorite source of American based F one conversation. Presented by me, Alex, and my co host Tyler. Let's race into it. So, Alex, what'd you think of that race? I thought it was pretty good actually for a Hungarian Grand Prix. I think they came into it really, you know, hyping up the idea that it's, you know, monocle without walls, and um, I think Typically, you don't see a ton of passes there, but I thought, I don't know, I'll give it a 7 out of 10. I think it was a pretty solid race. Um, Probably not as chaotic as it was last year, obviously, with the start we had and with Ocon winning, but overall, I think it was a pretty good race.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of hope for some rain there to make it a little spicy, but I think we got enough passes on track, and I think the, uh, the downplay of
1: expectations probably helped with that for sure. Yeah, I agree. I think we saw a lot going into specifically turn two this weekend, too, which was really exciting. I think we saw some good Good overtakes from a lot of people and a lot of switchbacks and stuff. So that was nice to see.
0: Definitely. And it helps. I think, you know, the race was, was pretty
1: solid. I think six, seven maybe. Yeah. But the weekend as a whole, very entertaining. Yeah, I think the weekend as a whole is probably a nine for me because quality, you had the threat of rain for the race the entire time. And in quality itself, we had some exciting things happen. And even in, even in free practice, we saw some things we... Didn't normally see some drivers and teams.
0: Yeah, some big-time highlights in, in free practice. You want to touch on a couple of those?
1: Yeah, why don't we start with the race order, and then we'll go dive into that. So, finishing order here, we have uh, Max finishing first, followed by Hamilton. Uh, George Russell claimed the last podium spot. Then we had Sainz, Perez, Charles, Norris, Alonzo, Ocon, Vettel, Stroll, Gasly, Zoe, Mick, Daniel, Ricardo, Magnuson, Albon, Latifi,
0: Sonoda. And rounding out the 20 drivers we had Valtteri Bottas who did not finish the end of the race with uh, a little bit of issues there kind of right at the end of the race.
1: Yeah I think three laps were left and ended up putting a VSC out but yeah he was very close to finishing but not quite. Unfortunate not not a great weekend from Alfa Romeo anyway. No I yeah if we want to jump into the uh, you know quality talk I think they were one of those teams that didn't have a great weekend in quality and didn't you know just overall wasn't wasn't at the top of their game. I know Bodice, you know, qualified in the top 10, but didn't really show a lot of pace during the race. And, yeah. you know, they were just kind of in the middle there and didn't really have any, you know, sparks fly or anything that really caught our attention.
0: Yeah, it seems like the last few races, we've really had a big disparity between kind of the top four or five teams and, and the rest of the field with a couple sneaking in here for ninth or 10th every once in a while. But it seems like the, the difference is almost a guarantee at this point.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think in years past, you would have seen – uh, the top two teams kind of separate themselves uh, from the rest of the field and then a big gap, and then usually that midfield is called pretty close. But it seems like as we get through this season, more and more it's like, you know, you have uh, Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, and then kind of that four or five is Alpine and McLaren, and then there seems to be just a huge gap to the rest of the cars.
0: Yeah, and it's almost like the, you know, last year and, and years prior, we've seen like the F1.5, but then we've also seen fully back markers that are back, you know, a lap or two and it seems like this year yeah Williams and and some other teams Aston Martin in particular on occasion can be really slow but they're never that far back like we've seen in in the prior years. Yeah, I
1: agree. I think it's I think like you said we always have had like the F1.5 and then even like F2.0 a lot of people have said where yeah. it's just like just so much further behind. So, at least we're not getting that, but I do agree that I think we're starting to see like the performance in terms of the upgrades teams are making the, you know, more profitable teams, the teams that have more money to spend and teams that, you know, have more resources and typically do better are kind of separating themselves from that yeah. second half of the field.
0: Yeah. And that gap for the rest of them kind of makes it interesting because of the the difference in wind tunnel time and uh, a couple other things that the new regulations are allowing them to to use more resources for. But yeah, overall, I mean, quality was, was pretty interesting. We had a couple of, of points to pick out there. Um, Sergio Perez going out in, in Q2 was a pretty unexpected one.
1: Yeah, that was surprising for me. I think uh, I mean, the Red Bulls ended up having kind of, for their standards, a disaster of a qualifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Max finishing 10th with the issues he had, um, I believe with his engine, uh, he had no power. I think on that last push lap that he did, so yeah. ended up finishing P10. But yeah, uh, Perez was just kind of off all weekend. He just didn't even in practice and stuff. Just didn't really have the pace. And yeah, uh, I think I think his was just legitimate. He just wasn't. I don't know what it was. He just wasn't wasn't having it this weekend. Like it just wasn't wasn't his weekend. But um, I definitely think that was probably the standout thing from from Q two. Yeah. Um, I think definitely something worth calling out, and I think the most interesting thing in the whole call was Latifi in Q one um, or in FP three to start out setting the fastest time of everybody yep. by like six tenths. Um, I remember there they actually went to Leclerc for like a radio message, and he's like, "What's the gap, to Latifi?" And the guy told him six tenths, and like Leclerc freaked out, like he couldn't believe that yeah. he was that far behind, but. And then in Q one, uh, Latifi ended up going out in Q one. Uh, I think he, yeah, he qualified twentieth, uh, typical. But he actually set on his last lap. He actually set a purple sector in sector one, mm-hmm. and that stayed purple for him through the entire qualifying. No one, no one at the end of the day drove a faster first sector than Nicholas yeah. Latifi.
0: Yeah, and he he pulled together a you know a slow but decent second sector and then that last turn just caught him out he, he said on the radio he was trying to go too hard and pull it all together and ended up just squiggling a little bit and kind of ruining his lap there
1: yeah but he did actually look pretty good in practice and he actually looked pretty decent in qualifying if he hadn't if he hadn't had that mistake he would have made it into q2 and who knows mm-hmm. what would have happened then but definitely one of the highlights for me of of qualifying, and then um, you know, I think the other thing we need to touch on here is just the continued downward spiral of the Alvatoris.
0: Yeah, it's really unfortunate. I think we'll get into it a little bit later when we talk about the standings. But you know, coming from last year with Gasly had had so much hope, and coming off of a year with his win and just looking really good, and hoping to maybe potentially break into the front of the grid. And I know they were going for fifth in the championship last year, but. You know, nothing's really pulling together for him this year.
1: No, it's been interesting. I think last year we saw with Gasly him really pull that car and outperform what the car could do. But, you know, I was used to him last year, you know, in that he was always in that, you know, all, even as high as P4, like that P4 to P6 range, he was yeah. putting that car in every time. And now, I mean, they're struggling to make it out of Q1 pretty much every week and having all kinds of issues with the engine and stuff and just. It's just sloppy. It's just really sloppy qualifying and sloppy practices, and it seems like they're always in the back foot.
0: Yeah, we we got used to him being the one that was up in the top ten, in the middle of the middle of the top ten, picking up the pieces of anything that went wrong, and you know that now that seems to be the McLarens, the Alpines, you know, Valtteri Bottas every once in a
1: while, but uh, we we just haven't really seen Gasly running up that high. Yeah, no, and Senna struggled a lot in qualifying. I know he had the spin in qualifying this weekend, and. It's he's just he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been great either, and it's just yeah. kind of been no progress for him over the course of the season, which has been unfortunate to see because he ended last year on such a high note, and I think a lot of people had high expectations for him, and not that he's you know failed those expectations, he just hasn't really done anything to to impress me. Yeah, he's you know there was a lot of
0: expectations after the team moved him to Italy and was hoping that he could really take a step forward, and he's shown flashes of brilliance and yeah. And most of the time, though, it's just kind of mediocre, and you know he's not really putting in performances that are exceeding the expectations. They're just kind of right around them, and yeah, you know he he's performing on a kind of similar level to Gasly in some races, and I think that's what's keeping him around for now. But yeah,
1: you know we'll see going forward if if he can continue in a seat. Yeah, I definitely think they're looking for. Out of him, uh, something like what, like what Gasly had last year, where you're kind of outperforming the car on certain occurrences and stuff. And I know the car, I think, is not as good as it was last year for them. No. But I think they're going to look for Snowden in the second half of the season to really kind of have some of those standout performances. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of somebody outperforming their car this weekend, how about George Russell? That was incredible. I One of the best pull laps I've, I've seen in a while, it was – I did not even see it coming. You know, he set three green sectors for it, no purples, and got yeah. the pole, which was really interesting to see. But all weekend, Merck seemed on the back foot. They struggled in the free practices, kind of on the you know edge of the top 10. And uh, even in qualifying up to that point, like, you know, just kind of hit or miss, and could they get the laps together? But they got the perfect conditions. They got everything lined up right. They got the tires in the right window, and he just nailed that lap.
0: Yeah, there, there was a lot going on in Q3, and I think one thing that – I've been noticing from watching Formula One and kind of the the announcers, commentators in every qualifying session, it, it's interesting to me that Verstappen or the Ferraris or, or last year it was the Mercedes will, you know they'll say oh he has pole or like you know he and they'll say it with like thirty seconds left or you know there's still people doing their laps, and there's never an expectation of somebody else to come through and and break that you know yeah their first laps it's provisional pole but then. The, those final laps, whoever has the fastest one out of the top maybe two teams are always like, oh, they got pull. And this was that example that I've been waiting for to see somebody come through and just take that totally unexpected. You know, especially obviously not setting the purple sectors, so it wasn't really like you like you could fully see it. And he was able to yeah. to just dial it in and and bring it in. You know, in P one, which was awesome to see, but very unexpected and um, kind of an interesting finish to a to a pretty happening q3 session
1: yeah i think you know obviously we talked about earlier how max had those issues uh on his last lap and then i think you know the other guy we look at is hamilton i think a lot of people would wonder like well why wasn't he up there too he had a, a drs issue that prevented him from i think even opening the drs so that obviously yeah. made him lose time but i think that would have been interesting to see if he wouldn't have had that you know because he was quicker than george in qualifying and stuff all weekend you know would he have been on pull and you know, we'll discuss it when we get into the race highlights. But like, had he started P one or P two, he probably wins a race. I don't know. Like, he yeah. was all weekend. Obviously, you know, Max drove great this weekend to go from P ten to P one. But like, on track speed and you know, just in terms of like statistically, like Hamilton did have the fastest lap. But like, pretty much all race, he looked the quickest, and especially there at the end. So
0: yeah, it was really interesting. I know you mentioned their their free practice sessions not looking too great, but. They come into qualifying in, you know, a race that they're not expected to do particularly well and just smash it out of the park. And obviously, Hamilton, you know, not qualifying up there with George, but definitely would have without that
1: DRS issue. Yeah, so it definitely, you know, him finishing in P7 definitely mixed up the grid a little bit and having Max in P10 and and Perez in P11. He had cars that were kind of out of place from where they should be at the start of the race. Um, At the start of the race, you did see some interesting strategies, I think, in terms of the tire choices. So we saw everyone up front. So, uh, basically George Norris, uh, who started P4, which we didn't even touch on that. He had an awesome qualifying. He looked great in free practice and yeah. looked like he could have been on for pull even potentially during the free practices, but he started on the softs and then you had the, uh, Red Bulls at 10 and 11 starting the softs. Um, which I think a lot of us thought that, Oh, are we are these guys committing to a two stop pretty early on. And ultimately they did mm-hmm. was starting on the softs like that. But uh, the most interesting was the, in the mix was the Ferraris on the mediums and kind of what I heard from, you know, just Paddock talk and stuff like that is that they expected everyone to start in the mediums and like were surprised when they yeah. were the only ones at the front to start on the mediums. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was interesting. Really got the race started there just, you know, sitting on the grid and getting ready for the, for the formation lap, but you know, it kind of spiced things up in the beginning and. I, I kind of like that, you know, the rules last year where you had to carry over your, your best lap in Q2 tires to start the race, but we saw, you know, the change over the, the off season and I think it really makes things a little more interesting, and we have some more uh, really great starts to watch, and I think a lot cleaner starts. You know, we've had a lot of contact, whether it was a lockup into turn one or, or something small like that, and oftentimes results
1: in a uh contact and front wing damage but i think we've had a lot cleaner starts this year yeah i think it's been a good change uh at first when i I was kind of skeptical of it because like it kind of takes that strategy play into qualifying out of it but Mm -hmm. if you look at a weekend like this weekend i think unknowingly everyone would have just probably tried to the faster guys would have just qualified in the mediums out of q2 and started on those because that's what you would typically do and like in last year's setting you'd try to get out in the mediums so you Mm -hmm. could start on those and have more options for the strategy when the race started but Uh, it's, I think it's good because you get a mix every weekend for the most part within the top 10 of like who's starting on what. And I think it paid off, especially for, for Hamilton. And, uh, at least in Norris's case, he was able to hold the guys off at the start because he was on the sauce, but you know, Hamilton did start in the mediums, but him, uh, having the Alpines in front of him who also started on the mediums, he just had too much pace in that car and had a great start and was able to get past some right away, which I think was huge for ultimately his end result in the race because he was able to not have to waste any laps, you know, trying to get past a car that was significantly slower.
0: Yeah, agreed. And we saw the Alpines really fighting each other, which was kind of interesting. I yeah. mean, you know, Ocon covered off Alonso really hard and we heard Alonso on the on the radio questioning that. And, you know, we'll get into later potentially a little triggering factor there for his decision after the race. but. Um, kind of started their, both of their races really off on kind of the back foot. And so yeah. we saw Hamilton get through and, and fighting Landa, like you were saying, and, you know, a good start from, from the front, you know, nothing too much, you know, George was able to, to keep it in front of the Ferraris and,
1: and uh, get a good getaway. Yeah, it was a good start from the front, uh, where we saw a little bit, a little bit of chaos was kind of near the middle to the back of the field. Magnuson and Albon made contact with each other, I believe, and, Alvin had to come in right away, and Magnuson probably should have, but he kept driving with that slightly broken front wing, and so a lot of debris on the track from that, so we had a VSC, like, pretty much right away at the beginning of the race, um, which is interesting to see, so kind of similar to last week in France, you know, VSC came, and nobody responded better to the VSC than George Russell. I don't know if it's the engineers at Mercedes are that are getting it right, or if it's if he's the only one that has this strategy of like you know backing way off the delta time yeah. and then just flooring it when he thinks it's gonna happen and timing it perfectly. Yeah. But he went from being you know right about one second ahead of the Ferraris to being like I think it was like two point seven seconds yeah. after the VSC restart. So he gained like a second and a half, if not more. Yeah. Um, so he continues to impress in that, but an unbelievable safety car restart from him. It's kind of interesting because I don't think I've noticed that in any past
0: races, any safety car restart like drama, but the past two races, he's been just on top of it. Whatever he's doing, he's figuring it out and I'm surprised nobody else is either maybe not picking up on it or not being able to execute as well as he is, but it does make it a little more interesting when a virtual safety car rolls around because typically they're pretty dull. You feel like you're losing a few laps as a fan to watch and um, for sure, you know, just
1: making it a little more interesting there yeah for sure um so going back to Magnuson I think we we saw the return of our favorite flag the meatball flag as they call it yes. uh, in the commentary box but Magnuson ultimately did get called in for that broken front wing he got the black and orange flag and had to change it so that kind of ruined his race from there and you know the Haas has kind of struggled this race in general but yeah uh, that kind of ruined his race from there uh Also, at the beginning of the race, we saw, even with the VSC to kind of, you know, usually when there's a safety car, virtual safety car, it kind of takes some wear off the tires because you're going slower and you're not pushing the car Mm -hmm. around, but uh, Lando specifically struggled more than anyone with tires uh, during the race day, especially the sauce. I think he was, after the race in the interview, he said after like five laps, he felt like they were just destroyed and like he had ruined them. And he wasn't really, I mean, he was trying to keep Hamilton and uh, at that point Max behind and his tires died before he even really had a chance to defend against them. So that definitely ruined the front of his race. And I thought when he came in and pit and came out in like 16th, I was like, Oh, it's going to be one of those classic McLaren races where him and Ricardo finish like P 14 and P 16. And they're just nowhere to be found. But
0: yeah. And it was interesting point to note that the track was really cold. We had a a green track after the rain came the day before. So, you know, really difficult to get the tires up to temperature. And uh, a little later in the race that hit Ferrari a little harder, but it was interesting that Lando was was struggling with those softs as much as they were, and like you said, especially with that virtual safety car to kind of yeah. kind of buffer that. But um, we saw you know Red Bull's committing to a two-stop after starting on their soft tires and and getting in early, trying to do the the undercut and and get through uh, some of the traffic in front of them, and we saw it really pay off. And and Max was able to to really start pushing, and you know ended up
1: setting himself up for a really
0: good second half of the race.
1: Yeah, uh, I'd say this weekend I think. Merck and Ferrari definitely capitalized on the strategy the best, uh, particularly with Hamilton and Max. I think they nailed Max's strategy. They got the undercut perfect, like mm-hmm. uh, on Russell and Leclerc, like halfway through the race, and just nailed the strategy. And Max just drove so well. You know, we joked about it, but it, he literally drove so good. Like it looked like he like was cheating or something. Like it was that. It reminded me of you know watching Hamilton in, like 2020 or even you know watching him or Max last year at certain points where they just look so much better than the rest of the field for certain parts of a race that like you would think they're cheating, but he, he had an awesome weekend. He, you know, take it from P10 to P1 at Hungary is a pretty impressive, pretty impressive feat.
0: Yeah. Very. And you know, Red Bull was able to capitalize on that strategy and interesting that they were able to commit so quick. I mean, even before the race, deciding to put softs on is a huge decision, but they were able to use it perfectly and really made Ferrari and Mercedes both respond to them and, kind of seemed to be in the driver's seat the whole race on strategy
1: yeah and so we saw uh you know we saw Mercedes respond correctly and respond how they should have responded and uh, had a good strategy for the car they had and then we saw Ferrari do classic Ferrari things and have an absolute disaster class for a weekend um you know we saw I think signs at least they did get him right because they noticed their mistake with Leclerc but you know what happened for those that didn't watch is for the second stint, Leclerc went onto the hearts and everyone knew, and they talked about it after the race too. The track was too cold. It was too, you know, green as we talked about to, to run the hearts. They were just going to be like ice out there. Mm-hmm. You're going to get no grip. You're going to be so slow. Ferrari had the data already from at this point, I think from Lando and from the Alpines to like show that like, cause Leclerc ended up going long in that first stint that like, Hey, the hearts are not working yeah. and they put them on it anyways. And like the reaction to everybody was like, what are they doing? Yeah. Total mistake. And he came out so slow. He was all over the road. Uh, he ended up getting repassed by Russell. And then he had to just battle back. And then they just, they never turned on the hard tires. It just was completely, they were just terrible the entire weekend.
0: Yeah. And we heard George come on the radio after uh, Leclerc pitted for hards and like just question it, which is really interesting. Like if you know before a race that the hards are never going to be able to get into their temperature window, why is that even. A decision for the strategists you know so interesting you know decision from Ferrari there and obviously they continue to not capitalize quite possibly do the opposite every single race and uh you know we're seeing that in the standings it's just continually moving
1: backwards from where they were at the beginning of the year yeah this race was I think the toughest one for them to swallow this season because you start p2 p3 with the arguably and statistically still the what people think is the quickest car on the track and should have been the quickest car here. And you have your ride, your title rival starting P10 and P11. Mm -hmm. Um, This should have been a win a one, two for them this weekend. There's no reason it shouldn't have been a one, two for them completely bungled it. Um, You know, at least they got signed strategy, right? Uh, He was still though. I don't know what happened with the car. He was still a lot slower than the Mercedes at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, But Leclerc, I think I saw a tweet like if you add up the different things that they've screwed it up, like they, he's probably thrown away like a hundred points. Yeah. He's um, probably throwing away the points that Alonzo's claiming that, Yeah, that, that Alonso claiming. yeah, Trelonzo over here claiming he's you know if, if Alonzo had gotten all the points he was supposed to, he'd be P one in that he would have already secured the drivers' already championship. Easy, yeah. yeah, it would have uh-huh. already been locked up. But yeah, like Claire, you know, he's eighty points behind Max now. Uh, if we look back at the gap last year at this point, I think it was – I think Hamilton was ahead by, like, three points or maxed ahead by th- – it was, like, very close. I think it was, like, three or four points. Um, at no point last year was it ever more than, like, 28 or something. It always yeah. was pretty close. I don't see a way unless unless the Red Bull just turns into a tin can and, like, falls apart every race. There's no reason. I think I, – I I mean – 80 points you know max could dnf the next three races and leclerc could win all three with the fastest lap and max would still be ahead in the standings. so it's it's been a disaster for all season they just keep throwing away points for specifically for leclerc but even for signs too you look at the standings you know how is russell i know they're catching up but russell's now again ahead in fourth place and Mm -hmm. i think sign's been driving well he's had a good season and he's capitalized everything he could but i have just screwed up so bad. And, it, you know, speaking of the stands, you look at it, you have Hamilton catching up to to, uh, signs and Leclerc. now. I mean, Hamilton's 30 points back, Leclerc. only. The way it's going and the way these teams are trending, I'd, I mean, I would put my on Mercedes finishing P2 in the constructors, and I wouldn't be surprised if Russell and Hamilton are some combination of second and third or third and fourth
0: Yeah. in the driver standings too. Yeah, we're really starting to see – Kind of the fan perspective, move away from a championship battle like we saw last year, and uh, moving towards kind of that P two, P three, because it seems like you know the Ferraris are, are moving backwards, and yeah, from now on it, it almost feels like yeah we have a six way battle. Odds are high that the that the Red Bulls are going to finish one, depending on Perez's weekend, two, yeah, and then the fight will be right behind that or even hoping for a little bit of battle up front, but that battle up front from now on seems like it it might even be a Mercedes versus Red Bull battle up front, and, you know, we've seen Hamilton really putting in great performances, even if he's qualifying a little bit behind Russell, and obviously with the issues this weekend, still being able to bring it back, and, you know, he put on those softs at the very end, and really started to bring it back through the field, which was really awesome to see, and Very competitive, only bringing it back to within seven seconds of Verstappen, which yeah, you know, obviously in a lot of races that's a a huge margin. But with the the past you know half a season, we've seen the Mercs start so far back, yeah, and so it's awesome to see that they're really starting to close that gap over over a whole race, uh, and uh, even finishing ahead of Ferrari, which was unthinkable at the beginning of the year, but. You know, moving into to maybe our, our top drivers of the weekend, Hamilton is is got to be up there for me. You know, he had a great performance. They they got the strategy right, but he was still able to to bring that home. We yeah. see, you know, like signs still having the same strategy, but just not able to to put together lap lap after lap and bring it up uh, into the podium. But Hamilton finishing P two and on a really good string of performances, finishing on the podium, having uh, the best finishes over the last six or seven races uh that we've seen from anybody
1: yeah i mean he's had uh, a couple of stashes. i mean obviously five podiums in a row now um you know one of the interesting ones is i think uh him and max the number of times they've been one, a combination of one and two i think i think if it happens one more time they'll be the most ever by yeah. a duo i think they've tied the record for that now um but he's looked awesome he's just gotten quicker and quicker and I think if we look back, you know, to him getting lapped by Max at Emola to where mm-hmm. now he's finishing seven seconds behind, and had he started at the front of the grid, probably wins the race. Like, he definitely... Uh, it's just it's bringing back good, good memories from the years before where he was, you know, so quick and so good, and I think he's starting to figure out the car and really turn it on now. Yeah,
0: definitely, and I think it's interesting how we're starting to see maybe a more clean battle. You know, they're not... It doesn't seem like Max and Hamilton are on the same race strategies or are yeah. racing the same race, but they're kind of finishing in that same order and and just clean racing from the both of them. Great overtakes. It's great to watch as a fan. Yeah. Uh, instead of so much off track drama, it's really starting to become on track drama, and uh, we're seeing that kind of throughout the field. It's pretty awesome to
1: see. Yeah, for sure. And I think even in the you know the post race room, the like the room right before they go on the podium, we saw them joking about the Ferraris being on the hearts. Yeah. Um, which was funny to see, but uh going to the other mercedes driver i had george as one of my drivers of the weekend yes he did start in poland didn't win the race but the poll he had to include the whole weekend in the in this top three and he had an awesome pole app looked great you know looked great all weekend and then did what he could in the race obviously he was on a different strategy than hamilton and mm-hmm. so he you know had the lesser of the two strategies and but he still brought it in uh p3 he looked quicker than both the ferraris and had some good overtakes and he just looked good all weekend. So he was definitely, you know, one of my th- top three drivers the weekend.
0: Yeah. Had the virtual safety car start too. Oh yeah. And, uh, I thought it was really impressive that he was able to get off the line and get above that one second gap really quickly. Yeah. Before DRS was even open For sure. to them. And um, yeah, so he, he definitely had a great race. Uh, obviously I, I got to go with Max as one of my other ones. He had, um, you know, a pretty, a uh, pretty disappointing weekend up until the race. Yeah. You know, the Red Bulls weren't looking too great. It was pinged as either a a Ferrari and even, you know, Mercedes were struggling a little bit, but a lot of people were hoping coming into this weekend that they would be really good. Um, But the Red Bulls were expected to be a little further back, and they qualified in the back, and Verstappen was able to storm through the field and get the win by, you know, a decent margin, but you know, just a great race from him. Obviously he had that spin,
1: but he was able to come out of it really easily, still use those tires, which was impressive and come home in first. Yeah. Him keeping the spin out of the wall, I think, you know, and not getting hit by any of their cars was probably the wildest thing to me. I thought for sure when not happened, he was either going to hit the wall or someone was going to come like a back mark. was going to come around the corner and hit him, but yeah. he kept it clean there and only got passed by our Claire, which is, you know, good by him. But, uh, going into my second, uh, you know, top three drivers of the weekend. I have Vettel on here, and we'll touch on him a little bit more at the end when we get into Paddock talk, but, uh, you know, obviously, for those guys that don't know, he uh, announced retirement before this weekend that he's going to retire at the end of the season, and uh, for him to qualify P18, you know, Aston Martin having, once again, just a horrible qualifying, and then to, at Hungary, a race that's hard to pass on with, not a great car to put it in P10 and finish, you know, in the points ahead of his teammate, and a little, got a little spicy battle in there with Stroll at the end, and uh, he looked pretty pacey and he just had a good weekend and especially coming off everything that happened with him this week. I think, I think it was awesome to see.
0: Yeah, it was definitely great to see. You mentioned the battle at the end with Stroll and it's interesting because, you know, the last race or or Britain, I think it was, was when Vettel was coming at him and he closed the door and, uh, you know, Stroll ended up taking the point from Vettel, but, um, yeah, Vettel's had a, a decent season. He's struggling a little bit down in 14th in the standings, but, um outperforming the car a little bit we we got stroll down in 18th with only four points so definitely outperforming him but and Vettel missed two races he didn't even race the first two races that's very true yeah he's been able to outperform the car a bit and you know it was good to see this weekend that he was able to to bring it home in 10th and kind of celebrate cap off the retirement announcement weekend
1: yeah so I think you know speaking of Vettel being 14th this year I think uh, your other driver is actually tied with him now in the driver standings
0: yeah that's true I got uh, my third driver is Pierre Gasly and you know in, in OK weekend we talked about how the Alphataris are really struggling, but he's starting to pull it together a little bit. He got up into twelfth throughout the race. Um, not a great start from them and uh, obviously he he qualified P nineteen, both of the Alphataris going out in Q one, which is unfortunate to see for them. But, you know, overall a good race from him. He was able to keep it somewhat competitive, at least you know, not making any contact, which it seems like he's had a lot of in the past few races. But, um, yeah, it's a, a pretty solid
1: performance from him. Yeah, I mean, pit lane start to P12 at Hungary. You can't complain about that, especially in the car they're in. And uh, it has some good overtakes and looked pretty quick in the race. So that was nice to see. Yeah. Um, then for my last driver, top three driver of the weekend, recurring theme here, but Lando Norris again. I think, you know, both of us have the same thoughts. He just continues to, I think, show that he's the best of the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, doesn't have a top three car right now. Um, probably as the fifth best car, I would say the Alpine's probably better than right now, but recently, he no. keeps putting the, he keeps finishing P7, you know, he's in the standings, he's best to rest, and he's keeping that gap, if not growing it a little between him and Ocon, kind of that best to rest thing, and I think overall, he just, he's kind of locked in that P7 position every race, which obviously, he wants more, the team wants more, but yeah, that's usually the best he's going to get, and he capitalizes with any, any chaos ahead, but I think he just drove consistently, weekend. he had great free practices, he was you know p2 and fp2 and looked like he could be on for pole he had a great qualifying lap finish in p4 kind of put that up higher than it should have been and finished the race at the highest position he was going to finish it in based on the cars that were ahead of him and that were quicker than him so another great weekend for him and you know i think that kind of leads into our team highlights where um mclaren i think had a pretty solid weekend overall they looked much quicker in qualifying and in uh free practice and then in the race you know uh you had norris you know keeping it in p7 and ricardo was keeping around p9 p8 somewhere in there until he had the uh incident on the hard story he got the penalty to stroll Mm -hmm. and then he ended up having that five seconds added and it dropped him down to i believe 15th Uh, but he was right around the points at the end there and it kind of that kind of messed up his race the rest of the way but yeah you know both the mclarens looked pretty paced this weekend they looked like they made some improvements um from last race at least
0: yeah norris norris is really turning it on recently and you know, we've seen Alpine their recent form being able to bring it to him, but he's constantly able to keep it in front of them and uh, win those battles that we see. And obviously he's outperforming Daniel Ricciardo by, you know, miles every race. And yeah. It's starting to become almost embarrassing. You know, he had a little yeah, glimmer is. of hope in the points there, but wasn't able to, to bring it home in the points this weekend, even after a, a good qualifying. And it's not really great to say that it's a good qualifying just because he got into Q3 because yeah. – you know Lando up in fourth position and yeah we're just expecting a little bit more out of Daniel Ricciardo and, and
1: not really getting it this year yeah I think it's it's been the hardest and I think we expect him to take that step this year and like to see him consistently be probably you know five six if not seven tenths behind Lando and then when they get into the race maybe all except for that first race of season you know Lando they have usually the same strategy and Lando will finish just way ahead yeah on pace and it just like seems like he's not grasping the car, so you know, again, that's another person we'll talk about more when we get to the paddock rumors, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with him at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, and we heard Norris talking a little bit about how difficult the car is to drive, and yeah. Norris seems to understand that it's just harder for Daniel Ricardo to to change his driving style. Obviously a little bit older of a driver and you know, he's had to drive so many different cars, which is interesting. I think yeah. you would almost think that he would be able to change his strategy a little bit more, but Norris just in tune with the car and able to to bring home
1: some good points for McLaren. Yeah, for sure. So I think diving into our other teams here, I think the biggest point you could make really is I think overall Merck had the best weekend. Yeah. Uh, finishing the two three way exceeded their expectations. They keep making progress towards the front and towards Ferrari, and it's just good to see them kind of getting back in the fight. But uh, you know we have lists on here basically anyone but Ferrari, right? Like anyone yeah. but Ferrari had a good weekend, like or had a weekend that was at least at their standard or what they would be expected to do. The only ones that really failed this weekend were Ferrari. So yeah, I, it was a tough weekend overall for them. Obviously, like we talked about and we kind of touched on all that earlier, but uh, we keep seeing, you know, Mercedes turning up and Ferrari turning down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's going to be the trend the rest of the season, unless something dramatically changes over the summer break. But we just saw on track, the Mercs look much better, look pacier. They looked, you know, just tighter and quicker and like they were better in the turns and, hmm you know, I think we saw like we kind of touched on the beginning of the podcast. We saw a lot of overtakes more so into turn two versus versus turn one, which is typically at the end of the DRS straight. We saw a lot of switchbacks, and yeah, I think you saw a lot of those from from Lewis and from George on the Ferrari specifically. And even if they didn't overtake, just battling through there with the Ferraris and looking better in those, yeah. Um, and so in terms of overtake highlights, I definitely think turn two was was the main the main show for this weekend. Yeah, into turn three, but. I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
0: Yeah, I think it comes down to almost the difference between cars. We see some cars with you know a lot of straight line speed, but struggling a little bit around the corners. And we saw that with with the Red Bulls, they were able to pass a, a good amount on that first turn, but they were struggling with some of the switchbacks that were done. And um, we saw you know Ferrari had a few of them that were really good, and obviously the Mercedes, like you said, were were really able to hook it up through that section. So I think a little bit unexpected. I think it almost seemed like we had more overtakes into turn two with the switchback than we did into that turn one after that long uh, DRS section.
1: Yeah, for sure. And probably the best move of the whole weekend was, you know, Ricardo's double overtake on the Alpines, which yeah. was a, a really nice switchback, you know, to get back up into eighth place, I think. And at that point, I was like, wow, this, he's really impressed me this weekend. He's looking good. And then ended pretty disappointing. But
0: It was a really weird kind of time. We saw the Alpines, like, fighting again yeah. a, and both of them losing out and – you know, we'll see how the rest of the season goes at Alpine, but it seems like
1: this weekend was was kind of a crux for their season. It was a tipping point, I think, in the season. We'll dive into that into the paddock talk, but they definitely, I think this weekend really set things. I think they're already pretty tense, but Mm -hmm. I think it really set things off this weekend.
0: Yeah, and I think we can ping one of them as maybe a a team that had a a poor weekend, maybe not on track. Uh, They had a couple of instances that were not what you want to see out of teammates but yeah you know it happens another team that maybe struggled a little bit was Haas and yeah. not that they struggled you know obviously not finishing in the points is tough but they came with that new package for Magnussen and we really didn't see much from him I know obviously the meatball flag kind of compromised it compromised his race but overall the pace
1: didn't seem to be there at all this weekend no, Haas is just so up and down. You know, some weekends they look great, and they look like they could both finish in the top 10. You had Austria where they're, you know, double point finish. Mm-hmm. They looked great in Great Britain too, but then didn't look great in France and didn't look great this week. So they're kind of all over the place. Um, for me, it's just it's confusing because I, you would think this is their first major update they brought, that there would be this big difference, but he was only marginally ahead Schumacher and so like, was that the updates? Like, it was you know, I I feel like there really wasn't that many then, or they didn't work how they thought they were going to. So, I think it was a lot of promise coming into the weekend for them, but didn't really show it. Some of that could come down to
0: Mick honestly improving and, and yeah. becoming you know really closing that gap like we've seen recently to to Magnuson even outperforming Magnuson in some of the races, which yeah is awesome to see. Obviously, we've heard some paddock rumors about some top teams giving him a little glance, but yeah. Um, yeah, good to see. Maybe that explains some of the performance differences. Obviously, they'll have a ton of data to take back, yeah, and, and hopefully go through and be able to turn that on when they
1: come back from uh, the break. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see how that performance from Mick, you know, carries over. while well. he can continue to close that gap and and outperform Magazine. But speaking of a guy that never outperformed his teammate, Nicholas Atifi, Yeah, another classic weekend. Uh, a great FP two fin- or FP three finishing first and actually did out qualify or did. Looked better than his teammate, but had that mistake in the last lap. Qualified twentieth, and then the race uh, finished eighteenth. Albon finished seventeenth. In typical of fashion, nowhere to be found. Uh, again, we talk about this every week on on the TV segment, but I just don't know. I don't know how he isn't going to be replaced mid year. I don't even know why they're continuing with the rest of the season with him. But uh, if he's not gone, if they renew him for another year, I don't. I don't. I don't know how you even take Williams seriously at that point. Then you know he he just hasn't been performing well
0: especially when we, when it matters, like we've seen this weekend. So far behind Albon, it, it is just becoming embarrassing. And, you know, I, I think his seat's definitely up for grabs. But, you know, especially after that that wet session in FP3, we were hoping potentially Quali throwing him up there on pole. I know we were thinking about it for our,
1: for our predictions, but uh, didn't end up going that route. Yeah, I think I had a lot of promise coming in, and I was like, oh, like maybe he could – have some wild Q three in the wet where somehow Williams found all this pace on the inners and are like just way better than everybody. It's like mysteriously, yeah, pulls with George where he was, you know, last year at Spa where he put it P two. But I, I just, it's 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 pure comedy at this point. You have the go y stuff and all the memes with that, and he's just a funny guy to have out there. Not, I almost, am, I am going to miss him next year when he's not in the grid. I am going to miss him a little bit because it's you always have that crutch to lean on, be like, well. Even no matter who you're a fan of, unless you're a fan of Latifi, but I mean, there can't be. I could probably count my finger the number of Latifi fans, the number yeah. on my hand, the number of Latifi fans. But you always have that crush to be like, well, at least like my favorite driver, like, didn't finish last. Like, yeah, now you're not going to have that anymore. So, yeah. And we saw the same thing last
0: year with Mazapin. There's always yeah. somebody, you know, somebody will come in and somebody, take his place. That's true. Yeah, somebody will, but we'll see
1: who it'll be. I would say, you know, Latifi definitely, a Sonoda and Bottas finished behind him, technically, but Latifi probably had the worst race. But I think Ferrari probably had the worst race out of everybody because of what they are expected to do. And like we talked about earlier, should have been a one, two for them. And you finish fourth and sixth and your rivals who were behind you in 10th and 11th finish first and fifth. Mm -hmm. And then you have the team that's hunting you down in the standings, finish a two, three on the podium and just gain serious points in the standings on you to the point where now, you know, Russell's past signs again and you have Mercedes only 30 points back from Ferrari in the standings. And are trending towards passing them. Uh, I think the most interesting stat for me, well, there's two of them, is uh, Hamilton now has more podiums than Leclerc does in the season. Yeah. Which is unbelievable to think about, considering how Hamilton started. It's tough. And then in the last, uh, I don't know how many races, I think since Baku, it's like dating back to Baku. So I guess it would have been Canadian, the last five races since Mm -hmm. Canada. uh, The most points scored by a driver is Max. And the driver right with the second-most points in that span is Lewis Hamilton.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely an impressive feat. And like you said, I think compared to expectations, they might have had the worst race weekend. And, you know, even for for us, we were expecting a lot out of them. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll get into our predictions, but I had Ferrari front row for my pre-quality prediction. I was really expecting a lot out of them. They looked pretty solid in free practice sessions. Uh, obviously, a little bit different in the wet with Latifi up there, but... I think a lot was expected out of them and and I expected them to be front row.
1: The front row pick I don't hate I think it you know you basically had it and uh, other than an unreal lap from George they would have been on the front row. Mm-hmm. From my side I was expecting one of them to win or one of them to be on pole but not Charles. I think I had I think it just felt like a signs weekend to me. Yeah. I know for my prediction I said someone not Max or Charles on pole uh, just to do something different and just because Lando had been looking good mm-hmm. and I don't know. We didn't know what we were going to get from the Mercs, and then Signs have been looking good all weekend too. So I thought, oh, like maybe this will throw a twist in the championship, where like you'll have like Verstappen and Leclerc starting like fourth and fifth, or third and fourth, and then you have like someone like Perez or Signs like take a mysterious pull out of there.
0: Yeah, definitely a solid prediction. Obviously got that one right with George putting it up there, and then your other McLaren pick was was a pretty
1: solid guess as well. Yeah, we know top four had that, got it, you know, by the skin of my teeth, and being P four, but mm-hmm. I think. Both those coming in, I again, like I said, I think Signs was the one I would have had on pull, not George obviously. But Lando looked great all weekend. I thought for I didn't think he'd finish in the race top four when I made that prediction, but I just thought, you know, in qualifying he looked good over one lap. He's been awesome this year. Uh putting it top four for me like it it felt like it was not gonna be actually that hard of a prediction to make.
0: Yeah, and you know, your and my predictions obviously both helped with the the Red Bull issues Verstappen obviously finishing tenth and uh, I had as my other one McLaren's finishing top eight barely missed that one just with Daniel Ricardo finishing ninth but able to get into Q3 I think yeah. was was still a pretty impressive feat for him from what we've been seeing recently but you know they had the pace this weekend and I was kind of disappointed that, that that one didn't come through
1: yeah I think that one was tough to see with Ricardo I think I expected him you know maybe not to be up there with Lando but maybe P6 P7 maybe splitting up the Alpines or something but mm-hmm. uh just kind of saw not a not a bad lap, but not a great lap for him.
0: Yeah, and going into some of the race predictions, I had McLaren outscoring the Alpines actually. So Lando obviously able to to out qualify them, like you said, but not Ricardo. Not, not Ricardo. able to not able to finish at home in the points. So. No, but you pushed on that one. Yeah, they,
1: they both had six points this weekend.
0: Yeah, not the not the worst. Um, I was really hoping that Daniel Ricardo would be able to make up some points there and and kind of make up for the difference from the two drivers that Alpine seems to be able to bring home in the top 10 very consistently now throughout the season so far.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, overall, I think the, you know, i going into my predictions. I had both McLaren's in the top eight for that. And I, I knew Lando probably wasn't going to finish fourth, but I thought for sure he'd lock in the top eight, which he did. He's been consistent all season with that, you know, finishing around that's that P seven mark. But Mm -hmm. I thought Ricardo, I thought he's starting in ninth. He's got the Alpines ahead of him. You know, maybe he can, maybe a little chaos and be a DNF ahead. I thought he'd be quicker than Bottas, which he was in the day. Um, that he'd be able to at least get P8, if not sneak up maybe into P7. But yeah. he was looking around that P8, P9 mark all race until he had that that incident with Stroll where he got the five-second penalty and then everything just kind of unraveled from there.
0: Yeah, it was a little bit of an unfortunate race ending for him. And uh, my other prediction actually was that Max would have a, a pretty unfortunate race ending. But, you know, I, I kind of based that off of his issues in qualifying. I was thinking Red Bull's had a little bit of struggles with some – reliability and with that issue you know we saw the drs issue earlier this season kind of coming over into the race and figured that would be the case and and maybe a potential dnf especially having to push so hard from 10th
1: yeah he almost had it too he had an issue with the clutch i think probably Mm -hmm. through the race where he lost when he was trying to get past Hamilton. he lost quite a bit of time to him because he had issue with the clutch so i thought maybe something would happen there but yeah potential one i'll call that a a half a point half a point i'll
0: take a, a good one half out of the one McLaren half. outscoring Alpine,
1: tie on that yeah. one. It Max. it for one. Yeah, To it for one. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Um, so going into my other prediction, I had Hamilton top five, qualified P7. I My base for this is that, that he was going to get past the two Alpines and Lando, and mm-hmm. that puts him P4. And then even if Max passed him, that puts him P5. So yeah. I did not expect him to finish P2, but it exceeded my expectation there. But, I, you know, I thought for sure he would be in the top five based on his recent form. Uh, and then going into my top – for the race uh, i had signs leclerc and russell um i think same as you i thought either max was either going to have an issue because of that engine problem in qualifying or that just from 10th the way they hyped up this track of being monaco that walls that he like wasn't really going to get by and would get up to fourth or fifth maybe mm-hmm. so i had signs in first i just thought again because for i always screws up Leclerc's strategy and signs had been looking pretty good on form recently that he would finish ahead of leclerc uh i thought for sure it'd be a one-two for Ferrari and and then Russell I thought would, you know, just do enough to bring it home in 3rd there and I know you had I think the exact same prediction as me.
0: Yeah, exact same top 3 and yeah, Sainz had a little bit more pace all weekend like you said with Leclerc, you know, not having the greatest strategy, obviously he didn't finish in front of Sainz, so, you know, that kind of worked itself out, but Russell and the Mercedes both able to bring it up to the podium and then obviously Max was able to make it through throughout the race. So, uh pretty star pretty pretty solid from from those predictions this week. And then, you know, one one driver we didn't really mention there at all was Sergio Perez, who had really a quiet race this weekend, a pretty rough uh, free practice sessions, qualifying going out in Q2, but a a pretty quiet race to go ahead and bring it home in fifth place and uh, get some solid points for the team, but probably not what he was hoping for right before the break. Uh, Although that did kind of set him up, for the end of the weekend, he was able to come out with the news that uh, he was going to start a, an E1 boat racing team, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, a really interesting connection there. His Formula 2 uh, team boss is the one that came up with and, and founded Extreme E, Formula E, and now this E1 boat series that's going to start next year. And Perez was there to, to pick up a Mexican team. Obviously not driving for him just yet, but pretty interesting connection that we'll have to watch going forward
1: yeah i think it's it's a really cool thing to see is these drivers kind of expanding out of just you know f1 i know you know lewis owns an extreme e team and like we have these different drivers and stuff doing more outside of just racing but like to see perez do the boat thing i think it's pretty cool
0: yeah and you know obviously like we're talking about connections and other series i guess we can go ahead and bump up the uh a funny happening from from this weekend we found out that nico holkenberg owns an e-scooter
1: championship racing team yeah so for those guys who don't know what e-scooter is it is exactly what the name sounds like you know everyone has ridden the the lime scooters the bird scooters around a campus around you know downtown wherever you live. everyone's seen those scooters well imagine racing those scooters competitively and then having your owner be a former current f1 driver
0: yeah it's quite the setup and you know, the racing is pretty interesting. They did it through London, which was uh, an interesting place to to watch that around. And, you know, they actually go pretty fast. They go about 62 miles an hour, which is kind of unbelievable for a little standing scooter machine. And, you know, they race around in full head to toe racing gear, full helmets and back braces, kind of like a MotoGP looking rider. And uh, we've, there's been some pretty hard spills.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, to make it more interesting, obviously, I think you have to you know, London's great they did it there, but you gotta bring it onto a campus. You gotta bring it onto sidewalks. You gotta bring people that are trying to hold food like yeah. on their way home, like after <laughs> the bars. Like you need to you need to do these things. Maybe have a race for like maybe they drink a little before and then they have to ride the scooter, like, around the track. Like just just things to make it a little more exciting. Put a, put a couple DoorDash boxes on
0: the back. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah, make it a little interesting. Exactly. They actually come into America for a race at the very end of the season. I believe it's uh, West Coast somewhere, so uh, that'll be interesting. Maybe have to plan a trip out to make it there.
1: Yeah, I think that'd be a, definitely a fun event to watch. If you look at some of the pictures and videos of these guys, it is, it is pretty hysterical. But uh, jumping back to the to the paddock rumors and kind of off-track notes for, for this week, you know, the biggest one like you touched on earlier and kind of what led to a weekend and last couple of days of chaos has yeah. been Vettel announcing his retirement. So Sebastian Vettel, um, I was a little surprised he retired this early. It feels a little young, maybe re- re- retiring, but I, you know, he has always said that he wanted to be in a car that was fighting for wins. And I think he saw that he wasn't going to get that anywhere for the next few years. So I think it makes sense. They did, but it definitely set off a chain reaction. I think almost bigger, it almost overshadowed his retirement, which shouldn't be overshadowed, but it shed off a chain reaction of wild events yeah. early this week.
0: Yeah, and like you said, I think maybe a little early uh, from expected. I know Aston Martin was coming out and talking about how they were really hoping that he would come back, and, and we thought maybe he would he would come back for a year or two or try and see the Aston Martin team and car really get off the ground. But yeah, moving on to, to bigger and better things, and we'll see where he goes. But he definitely has... A great voice and um, able to use his platform.
1: Yeah, and I think it'd be nice to see him kind of stay involved in the sport while also pursuing those, you know, environmentalism things that he's going for and just the different kind of changes he's trying to make. But yeah. I do, I could see him one day being a team principal or being an owner of a team or starting his own racing team, that type of thing. You know, a little bit longer in the future. But I'm, you know, based on the money and stuff they make, I'm sure he would be able to get the investors and stuff to do that. But uh, as we talked about him retiring, set off just absolute chaos yeah. in the F1 world this week. I think in you know I think we can kind of touch on another funny happening that kind of relates to this is Twitter in general has been the main source of news and has been absolute chaos. And every, everyone knows Twitter, always reliable, great source of news. Everything's always correct on there. I for use sure. it for my news. It's always right. No one's ever wrong on Twitter. But, you know, the first thing we saw this weekend is, and I think the funniest part of it is, uh, you know, we joke about calling him Trollanto, but he was an ultimate troll this weekend might have been um, his, his, best his best performance yeah, he's at the peak of his powers right now is I think what I texted you but mm-hmm. um so after the race is over Atmar kind of went up to him and was like hey and they kind of had a discussion about the next year and Alonzo said I haven't signed with anybody like I haven't done that and then like 12 hours later it comes out that he signed with Aston Martin to join them to race with them for an extended contract I think for two years at least but three 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 years okay so three years for Alonzo and Aston Martin but what's interesting about the decision is And, you know, kind of some of the stuff I read was that Piastri, who is contracted as, like, a reserve driver for Alpine, um, his, like, thing where Alpine could basically decide where he goes ended the 31st of July, which Mm -hmm. was um, this past Sunday. Yeah. And so, interestingly, that Alonso waited until Monday, August 1st, to say this decision. And so, we talked about earlier the kind of tension between him and Ocon and between him and the team after the race, and obviously there was more bit going into this. He didn't just decide this after the race, but I think it kind of was his tipping point Yeah. to where then he played this perfectly and did this to an expert troll level to where he basically left Alpine and then did it at the perfect time where like Piastri could also go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And then that just set off this chain of reaction, like with him and Piastri on Twitter, that was unbelievable.
0: Yeah. A really interesting, you know, chain of events. So, uh, Alonso had a couple things going for him. He and Aston Martin owner uh, Lawrence Stroll are, are pretty good friends, interestingly enough. So Lawrence had called him when the rumors were, were swirling about Alonzo potentially signing, potentially not, and uh, trying to bring him over, especially after Vettel announced his retirement. And so that Sunday night after the race, they had gotten together and uh, hammered out the deal and signed it, and then obviously waiting until... August 1st, Trolonzo coming at you real quick to announce that one. And we heard some things that were kind of interesting about Alpine. Their I guess their hope was to have Alonzo on for one more year, and then their previous agreement with Piastri would be that he would get a seat in the 23-24 season, so not this coming year, but the one after. Yeah. And they were hoping that they could keep Alonzo on for next year, they were actually offering him less than they were paying Esteban Ocon, which is really interesting considering the, the form that Alonso's been on. And, yeah, Piastri just kind of decided not to.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, common sense would tell you that, all right, Alonso's leaving, Piastri going to slide right into that Alpine and the reserve driver deserves to be an F1. And that's what everyone believed, actually, because that's what was said by Alpine on Twitter. They announced on Monday then that uh, you know, Piastri would be their driver for next season. Everyone believed it, it sounded great. Uh, you and I were excited to have him in an F one. Awesome to see. It kind of dispelled all those rumors about him going to McLaren, clean nice and tight, whatever. Then an hour later, um, I see this tweet from somebody that's like, you know, Piastri and his agent, which is actually Mark Weber, yep. Uh are unaware of this and like it'll be interesting to see like what will come of this and kind of how they'll respond to this. And so it ended up the news ended up coming out that Mark Weber is actually in the UK, meeting with Zach Brown during this time, and so it seems like Piastri had kind of already decided this thing that he wasn't going to do with Alpine, and so he ended up tweeting out like an hour after, uh, you know, Alpine tweeted this without my permission, without me knowing. I am not signed with them. I'm not going to be racing for the next year, and basically said he won't be racing with them, and so yeah, that kind of put chaos into the F1 world, and Alpine basically came out and said that they just announced it because like they have him under contract and like thought that they could do it, but. Uh, it basically open up the window and you know the whole Mark Weber meeting with Zach Brown and kind of all the rumors coming out that it's you know and what I'm hearing and I think what you're hearing too is Piastri to McLaren mm-hmm. to take Ricardo's seat and then Ricardo goes back to the Renault team back to Alpine um, and so I think that's very interesting I think that's a wild development I know there have been rumors of Piastri potentially getting a test with McLaren and potentially having this you know deal where he could go to McLaren but I, we've heard stuff too where he might sit behind ricardo next year again as a reserve driver but i you and i both agree i don't see why why would he not take the alpine seat down? he wants to be in it now and be racing now so i would tend to think that he's going to get that mclaren seat for next year along with lando and then you know daniel ricardo will go to alpine and that was kind of how the dust will settle um but i don't know what your thoughts are
0: yeah we'll see where where daniel ricardo ends up i mean we've talked about him the past few weeks he's come out and said different things but then At the same time there were those rumblings of piastri talking to mclaren and we really thought that was off the table even though alpine was saying that they were willing to give him up to get him a seat but for the most part that was tied to williams and uh yeah the mclaren connection kind of came out and you know kind of confirmed on that monday that they were connecting talking discussing and no real agreement has been made official yet but Obviously, Piastri coming out and saying he's not going to race with Alpine kind of dispels those rumors. Big time move from Zach Brown. We've seen the same thing with Alex Pillow and in IndyCar and uh, oh, yeah. just poaching drivers, which is kind of funny.
1: Yeah, I I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I saw a meme basically where it was like McLaren's drivers next season. And it's just like 16 drivers that they have mm-hmm. because like we talked about last week, them just owning all the rights to all these drivers now and like being the pick and choose what they do with them. Uh, power move by Zach Brown. I think, I think if they can get a car into them that's good next year, like a Piastri Lando lineup. I think it could fight for the top. Like I think that's a very good lineup. And, yeah. Uh, for Ricardo's sake, I think it actually will work out good too if he can go back to Alpine. I think it's. I just think that he just never jived with the McLaren team and never really got a grip with the car. And so going back to a team he's more familiar with and he spent a couple of years with, I think, will probably be good. Um, and then the other you know, kind of open seat where we're, it's not official, but, you know, Albon announces that he signed with Williams yeah. for a multi-year contract extension. Uh, kind of funny, actually he announced it in the same way Piastri announced he wasn't driving for Alpine. Uh, Albon announced that he was driving for Williams for the next couple of years, but I think we all assume along with this, that, you know, Latifi's is going to get canned and I think everyone thinks that and they yeah. haven't said anything about it, but I think it's going to happen. And so I know there's kind of two potential candidates that, we see that would fit that seat so the first one obviously is nick devries you know been on the cusp of f1 for a while now and is part of that mercedes kind of junior program and williams has kind of always been that team the last couple of years but yeah. uh and then the other one who we found out is getting a fp1 appearance uh actually at coda this year in america mm-hmm. uh is american driver logan Sargent. and so i think this would be awesome to see it'd be sick to have an american in the sport. I would be an instant fan, like just to have an American back in the sport. And I think that'd be so exciting.
0: Yeah. We've discussed it in previous podcasts. We were thinking McLaren was going to kind of acquire that first American F1 driver, but Logan Sargent, uh, a pretty solid driver. He's hovering around P5 and top 10 consistently in in F2. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to see him. I think, you know, we've talked about this, DeVries, we could both see as one of those drivers that just kind of Hangs around kind of like a fit of Pauli, but obviously yeah. for for a front team, and and we'll see if, if he's really able to crack the
1: lineup for the next year. Yeah, I agree. So kind of finishing up here, the last couple of paddock rumors and different things that have kind of happened, just general news. So came out that uh, Porsche, or it's not officially yet, but is intending to, and they've kind of like had a verbal agreement to buy 50% of Red Bull mm-hmm. uh, once the new regs come out. So kind of along with this is Red Bull. And Honda decided to continue their partnership where it's technically called a Red Bull powertrain for those of you that don't know. But it's like working with Honda to develop their engine through 2026 is when the new regs will come out. And then at that point, uh, it's assumed and kind of solidified now that Red Bull will, have, will be working with Porsche as their engine supplier. So I think it'd be cool to have someone different in F1 and bring a new team in. It'll be interesting to see how Porsche does uh, with the new regs and how they adapt. And, you know, is is Red Bull going to be, like, dominant or is it going to be a disaster for them?
0: Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see, too, if uh, Red Bull and AlphaTari are obviously going to keep the same power unit, but if they acquire any customer uh, teams with that new power unit. So, yeah, you know, we'll follow that closely, obviously. And the Porsche agreement kind of changes things with what we talked about last week with the, the news that Williams is really looking to sell and... You know, we're not really sure who, but that obviously would take Porsche off the table if they're yeah. able to get in through through that. But, yeah, a lot of paddock rumors, a lot of, you know, silly season going on this oh, week. Yeah. And um, I think that takes us into to silly season, summer season pretty quickly. We have a few funny happenings to wrap up, and then, and then we'll be off to that break. And just a couple this weekend, you know, nothing too big. I think we covered a few of them already, obviously, but... One of the other ones was Bottas' response in the uh, questionnaire session where the drivers were asked if they were going to take the Aston Martin seat, and Bottas responded with, well, I never thought I'd say it, but I actually have a contract.
1: Yeah, which that was hilarious to say. After all those merc years where he never knew if he was going to be the driver there next year Mm -hmm. to finally say it, so good for him. He's been on a a roll lately with pictures and funny things and just being kind of a goofball I got on track, but it's been nice to see.
0: Yeah. Definitely enjoying his time more in that seat, especially knowing that he has a multi-year contract. So happy for him, and you know we'll see if if they're able to maybe turn their season
1: around, and start having some better performances on track. Yeah, for sure. So heading into summer break now, um, you know obviously after Hungary we have we have Spa coming up next, but that'll be at the end of August. In terms of the podcast, until then, uh, this Sunday, yes, this Sunday will be the. Uh, the hottest drivers episode um, again i'm not gonna do any spoilers i'm not gonna give anything else away but a hilarious episode one of the funniest things i've ever done uh just an awesome time she was great on there so definitely give it a listen we're gonna that's gonna be dropping this sunday and then outside of that uh we'll be doing kind of a mid-season recap um sometime in the next couple weeks to kind of break up those last two weeks of the summer break kind of go everything that's happened where everybody's at recap everything that's gone on you know maybe touch on some of the earlier races a little more that we, you know, hadn't started the podcast for yet. And then obviously we're probably going to have a lot of silly season stuff happen over then. So just catching up on all that, but definitely. And also potentially
0: adding on some predictions for the rest of the season, uh, should be interesting to see and definitely excited
1: for all the news that's going to come out in the next couple of weeks. Oh yeah. Uh, but until then we will, uh, we'll see you guys see in spa actually in a couple of weeks. Yeah.
0: Enjoy the summer break, but, uh, fill it with some of our podcasts for sure.